I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Bucknuts Happy Hour. It is our first ever postseason edition. We started this at the beginning of the 2022 season. So maybe given the result of Ohio State in the Peach Bowl College World Playoff semifinal, losing 42-41 to Georgia, this is a bit less of a happy hour than some of the other ones this year. But I'm Patrick Murphy from Bucknuts and 247 Sports. I uh, am finishing off the rest of my Christmas ale, which is still lingering in my fridge, so I got to get rid of some of that. But uh, we're going to recap the the game, talk a little in depth about what happened on the field in the college football playoff semifinal. We're going to look ahead to 2023 and, and kind of what that might be. But first, I want to bring in our guests today, guys who stopped by the happy hour. We have uh, joining us for the first time from Ohio State Learfield. Matt Andrews, and uh, coming back for his second appearance, Buckeye National Champion Tyvis Powell here. If you have questions for either of them, uh, Tyvis obviously has the experience of playing in games like this, and Matt had the experience of being on the field uh, for Learfield for the game. So we're going to get into all that. How are you guys doing today? Welcome to the Happy Hour. Doing well. How are you all doing? 
Yeah. I, I'm doing fantastic. I mean, I get to see Maddie Andrews again, man. <laughs> Hi, buddy. Well, I, I've got my water for happy hour because I'm in Minnesota, the hotel room, Target Field right over there. We've got women's hoops tonight. The undefeated Buckeyes play the Gophers. So that's what we're doing. I am babysitting. That's that's <laughs> yay. <laughs> Tyvis, I, I meant to pick up some lemonade, but uh, I didn't make it over to the store before the show. So you know what? You just, you just you're actually just like me because I was supposed to. I went to the grocery store yesterday. My wife made me go grocery shopping for her, and I got everything on the list, but I didn't think about myself. And I'm so mad <laughs> that I don't have no lemonade. I don't know what to do with myself. I got. I'm I'm stuck with just water, and I, it's boring. Well. You got it. You you'll have to make a second trip here at some point. Get what Tyvis needs. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's dive into this game. Uh, I just want to get both of your overall thoughts. And Tyvis, I'll start with you, and we'll dive into the defense here in a minute. But look, obviously the Buckeyes lose, and, and no one wants to see that. But mm-hmm. a one point game against the defending national champions, a team that had been the number one team in the country. I don't. I know Ohio State doesn't play moral victories here, especially in the playoff. But what was your just kind of overall perspective of this game and, and what you see from the Buckeyes coming out of it? Well, you know, this is the thing. When I as this season went on, you know, obviously I've been very tough on the secondary, especially the corners. And you know, coming into this game, I knew that would be the Achilles' heel um, would be the corners and the secondary. However. You know, it was a it was a thing going around this team. You know, can these guys win the big game? Do they have what it takes? And to be honest with you, even though they lost the game, I was so proud of how they battled and how they fought in that game because they truly, they truly understood what it felt like to be considered an underdog. Nobody gave them a chance. Heck, even people at the radio station was going against them. So. I, I, they understood how we felt in 2014, and they came out there and they played with passion and purpose, and they wanted to go out there and show the world that, hey, we belong on that big stage. And I was so proud of the way that they fought. Obviously, you know, I think the biggest hit was when Marvin Harrison went out of the game. They had no answer for him, and getting him out of the game for them was a huge momentum swing for them. Um, I still like the way that they battle C.J. Stroud changed it, completely changed the narrative of himself. You know, a lot of people were saying that, you know, he has no dog in him. Um, he he can't do what it takes. He won't run. And he completely put that to bed. He had one of his best performances I've ever watched as a quarterback. Um, and it's just unfortunate. I feel so bad for Noah Ruggles because if you obviously if you know his story and how it's his grandfather's dream for him to come be a kicker here. And, you know, he's been so automatic and been so dependable. And then for now, for the rest of his career, they'll say, when you hear Noah Ruggles, everybody will think that he's the one that missed that kick. And I feel so bad for him for that. Um, Outside of that, obviously the defense was something that needed to be fixed. Um, It was still – I'm not willing to say it was fixed. I actually tweeted out that this defense is not fixed. It was patched because they still got gashed in the run. They still was giving up the explosives. And if this defense wants to be great, they have to find a way to get rid of the explosives. It's okay for them to hit an eight-yard pass or something like that and get it down. But when you're giving up 67-yard touchdown plays, you're giving up 50-yard gains and stuff like that, that's where the problem is. And we have to find a way to nip that in the bud. 
You sound like you do this for a living because I think you make great points. Uh, yes and yes to a lot of that. There's very little I can add. I will say this. I, I felt like you did a sense of pride. I don't want to call it my favorite Buckeye loss ever, but this team played so toe-to-toe with number one. Uh, and, and to watch in that environment, because it was, I'd say, three to one in, in favor of Georgia backers there, which you understand, it's their backyard. But to watch at halftime when that team went right down the field, scored to answer, took the lead again on Georgia, and then went into the locker room, that stadium, which had been Georgia red all night, the Buckeye fans on that west sideline really got behind these guys as they were sprinting in. And I, I felt walking in, and there was a, a little bit of a sense of this is going to be their night. And I'll be darned if in the second half they didn't come out there and and kind of back that up. Uh, to your point, Tyvis, on the defensive side of the ball, clearly there the, the, there's about four or five plays where one stop, one thing goes different, that's a win. I feel like this is the third time in a decade now not to bring up 2015, but the third time, Tyvis, but the third time in a decade where this this program is one play away. Anything happens in one game, one play away from capturing the crown, and I think that's what has hurt so much. You mentioned the uh, no ruggle situation. You do feel for him. It looked uncomfortable from the time it was lined up before the timeout, and knowing it's his uh, career-long 50 yards, you know, all I'll think about is – the radio broadcast booth was well behind the play in the corner. And I'm just telling myself, you know, for the sake of the moment, I hope Paul can see what's going on on the other end. Because but very obviously that ball was hooked. And and unfortunately, we forget about the Rose Bowl game winner Noah hit. So so let's remember the good. Obviously, that was a tough situation. The, the game does swing on Marvin's injury, the lack of a targeting, whichever it is. If he's in the game, there's no doubt in my mind from the – point of the CJ run to the point where the kick was missed, that there is a pass play or two to Marvin. There's going to be a moment where they're going to line him up. They're going to, they're going to run routes. Tyvis, you saw they ran routes left, right, up, down, all over Georgia. And mm-hmm. they were not going to stop Harrison in that stretch. And the Buckeyes, were, I think, would have approached it differently, probably gotten a few more yards. You're not going to have the defensive pressure, I don't think, quite as what you had they're at the end if Marvin's in the game. And then the Stover loss to me is also huge. Yeah. I mean, they've got, they've got, and bless their hearts, they've got guys on the field that you didn't dream about playing in that game, in that moment, whether it's before the game or before the season. Mm. This was the season of, of injury. This was a season that was never a full team from day one. And, and injuries happen. I get it, but we never saw the Buckeyes hold. Yeah, I, I just wrote, I just published it a little while ago, kind of the, the what-ifs of this season. And the one I ended with, and there's the obvious ones, Jackson, the running backs, um, you know, what if they beat Michigan and, and how that plays out then. But the, the last thing I ended with was, what if Cade Stover stays in that game? Because yep. I think he's another option. You know, you don't have to go to a former walk-on and, and uh, Xavier Johnson proved himself this season, but having to throw that slant to Xavier Johnson, as opposed to a guy like Cade Stover, maybe Um, obviously Marvin Harrison jr. If he's in the game, but that certainly changes things. And I don't, I don't think that got talked, uh, talked about enough. Fortunately, Cade, it sounds like is okay. Um, The biggest thing for me was that they played the way I think they should have played all season. Ryan day was calling a hell of a game. 
And yep. even before the game, we went out to the – they did like a player's walk-in uh, with the whole team and fans were out there. And Ryan Day's, you know, pumping up the crowd and, you know, jumping up and down. Normally when he walks into the stadium pregame, you know, he'll give an OHIO to the student section, but he's focused and he's zoned in. And I thought he was loose. And I felt from that point on, they just played that way. And it yeah. was good to see because you got to see the talent of this team. And I think at times this year, they were whether they were tight, whether they just didn't have to do it against some teams, they, they just didn't kind of unleash like some teams do. And, well, you and know, it was, you know, you know, good to see. You know, Pat, when you're an underdog, you playing yeah. house, you playing with house money. You know, it's nobody expects you to win anyway. So for Ryan Day, obviously, yeah, it was a quote unquote legacy game, but nobody truly expected him to win. So now you call plays differently. You know, now on on fourth and one, heck, we ain't supposed to win anyway. Let's go for it, and you get some success there. Let's call these plays. Because if we don't get it, it doesn't matter because we weren't supposed to win anyway. And at the you seen him with that aggressive mindset. And yeah. the last time I seen him play with an aggressive mindset, real, truly aggressive, was actually against Clemson in 2019 when they they was he was going at him. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. They just this the Achilles heel has it. We thought that it was fixed, but it was it's been the defense. You know, if that defense just gets some stops. And yes, it's a tough mm-hmm. ask. And, you know, people, I don't want to look over the fact that, you know, Georgia is known for their defense and Ohio State goes out there and puts up 41 points on them. So it's Great. not like all you had to do was be the better defense that day. And and they had it going, especially when they pitched a shutout in the third quarter. I said, oh, yes, they got this thing figured out. Just finish the game. And that's what, you know, we just didn't finish. You know, a couple of slips and falls. And, you know, Denzel, obviously, he uh, guesses on a corner, on a, on a route, and he ends up hitting with the corner. Um, that, just two big plays in the fourth quarter that just led to touchdowns. And it came back to the, the secondary. And we got to find a way to get this secondary back to being DBU, BIA. You know, you see guys and recruiting. We're, we're getting guys that's decommitted and going other places. When I was a kid, it was you dreamed of going to Ohio State. I mean, for for so many years, they were producing so many first round picks that it right. it was asinine to think that I wouldn't go there because I know what I'm going to get developed. And just as of lately, it's become a question mark. You know, are the way that you look at these secondary players playing, they're not they're not making the plays that they used to. Hey, this we finished the season. Our corners had zero picks. I cannot believe that our corners had zero picks on the season. That's unfathomable. I've never heard of that before. So we have to get something better. Um, I do trust Jim knows he has to find a way to to, to lose the uh, we're we okay if we give up uh, an explosive. That that has to stop. It, 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 we can't keep living off because one explosive leads to too many explosives. So you want to find a way to nip that in the bud and we got to get better at, at at playing the ball. That that should be a huge focal point this offseason that all our DBs learn how to play the ball better. Tavis, I'm with you. I thought the third quarter, and I remember mentioning this in the broadcast, and there was a moment in the first half where they were not breaking. They were bending. Remember the missed field goal and, and a little bit of the momentum early after the steel chamber. Mike Doss is standing right behind me, and we're talking about needing to turn over. Steel Chambers makes the pick. But in the third quarter, was it three or four straight possessions where they, they had an opportunity to score but did not score. And and then you felt like the Buckeyes are one score away from going up three scores and, and, and that they'd be able to get home all right. But unfortunately, as you said, defensively, the one big pass play 
Uh, if that's a six, eight play drive, there's probably not enough time at the end of the game for Georgia. And you mentioned something about the cornerbacks not having interceptions at all this season. Is this a product of recruiting? Is it a product of coaching? Is it a little bit of everything? And, and, and I guess, how do you go about it? Is it the portal? Do you, do you recruit differently? How do you see that working? So when you can't, the thing is this, when you, they're, they're asked to play man a lot. And I was explaining this a lot to people. When you're asked to play man, the common misconception is that if I play man, I'm going to turn, I'm going to get a pick. And that's truly not why coaches call man. You run man to man because you're running some type of blitz off of it or something like that. You want the coverage to be tight because the ball comes out, they'll be able to make a play on the ball. Very seldomly do you see guys get picks. Now, yes, you'll get the fade route where if the corner is playing it correctly and he's in good position, he'll jump up and he'll make a play on the ball. But outside of that, typically in man, the only way you'll get a pick is if the ball is batted or if the quarterback misthrows the ball and you just so happen to catch it. But you, if you want to catch picks, you usually run zone because zone eyes mean that your eyes is on the quarterback. Yes, the route, you have to see where route is being ran in front of you and understand route concepts. But at the end of the day, you plan off, you can see the quarterback throwing the ball. If you can see the ball come out, you'll be able to obviously look at it. And man-to-man, if you're a press man-to-man, you have to go from looking at this guy, getting a good release, staying with him on the release, catching up, getting in his hip pocket, then being able to turn your head around. And that's a lot. That's a lot. And the problem is, if you're if you're beat off the line, if these receivers are beating these corners off the line, the whole rest of the play, you're in panic mode. Now you're playing catch-up and you, you, you're trying to run and catch up that you never have time to really turn your head around and look for the ball because they always say, don't look for the ball until you're in phase or you're in that hip pocket. So a lot of the times, if you go back and watch, we are getting beat off the line. And if that's the case, we need to play off if you ask them to play, man, at least play off, or they have to get better at, at uh, being sticking with them off the line. That's really interesting, Tyvis, because I think as fans, as people who didn't play it, you know, you just say, why are you giving them so much space uh, at, for a corner? Or, you know, why, why aren't they turning their heads? And I think you made it pretty clear there that there are reasonings for playing off mm-hmm. and when, when you – when you're in coverage, it's it's not as simple as every cornerback can play press man against every wide receiver and win every battle. I, I think people just assume, especially Buckeye fans, when you're usually the better, you have the better talent on the field, that it should be <clears throat> press man every time. And I know you guys did that a lot with your corners. Um, oh yeah, hold on. Let, wait, let me let me address this comment. It says yeah. R- Ransom was backpedaling on that slip, technical yeah. technique issues. So on that play in particular, they are in man. Now, what needed to happen is before the game, somebody should have came, got in his ear and said, hey, as a, as a DB staff, you, you sit them players down and you say, hey, if you see this guy in the game, just know this guy ran a 10-1-8 in high school. So he's extremely fast. If this is the fourth quarter and the game is on the line, you got to know situational football. Mm-hmm. If it's eight minutes left, what we're going to do in the fourth quarter is we're going to play off, and if they throw something underneath, so be it. But we cannot give up the deep ball. See, if they throw it underneath, if you get beat on the dig route, you get beat on the out, you get beat on the comeback, you tackle it. So when you tackle it, what happens? The clock is still running. So maybe if they do score, maybe 
instead of it being seven minutes left, it's four minutes left. So now it's less time. It picks up a lot of things. The offense goes out there and gets a couple first downs. Boom, they can ice the game. So what happened is in the fourth quarter, they should have stayed on top. Lathan was caught backpedaling. He should have realized who he was checking and understood that, hey, if I give up something underneath, that's cool. He should have got out of his backpedal a long time ago. And when I watched the clip, it kind of made me question a little bit of the coaching that's going on. See, when I was at Ohio State, we did once a week, we did this drill where you'll be at, you'll they'll, no matter what position you play, safety or corner, you'll, you'll be off of a receiver. Usually it's a scout team guy. You'll be off the guy for seven yards because that's typically the, uh, the amount of yards that you play off when you start, seven yards off the ball. And you backpedal out while the, while the scout team receiver runs at you full speed. You do this so you can feel the speed and you have to know when they break your cushion. When they break your cushion, meaning that it, they are so fast up on you that you cannot backpedal. You have no choice but to get out and you have to know, you have to be able to get out, open your hips, turn and stay on top of the route. And when I watched Lathan on that, it seems to me he wanted to stay in his backpedal and it was just too long. You had to know that this guy was a burner and you should have been I would have probably been butt to the sideline as soon as they said go because if a guy runs a 10-1-8, that guy's blazing fast. Right. So that that right there to me was a little bit of a coaching error, and it seems like he wanted to sit in there because he maybe was expecting one of those digs or one of those outs and he wanted to play it. But situational football would tell you to stay on top of the routes and just give those up. Tyvis, did was, you go back? It was, a lengthy, it was a lengthy explanation, but no. I think I wanted to make sure I answered that question. No, that's awesome. Did you go back and look at the play? I exactly what it was. It was another big play when Tommy Eichenberg ended up on one of their receivers. And I think they were in cover two. Do you know which I one did, I'm talking about? I did not see it, but if they were in cover two, did Tommy Eichenberg end up on a number three wide receiver? Yeah, he was dropping. Okay, yes. And okay, so what? So that's he was down on the ten yard line. He ran fifty yards. So, <laughs> was, okay, so so typically how cover three or how cover two work is that obviously you know you got you got your two deep safeties, you got your corners playing the the flats, and they then you the got the corners on the same side of the field, which was weird. Both oh, corners really? were on both Cam and Denzel were lined up on the same side of the field, and they, they did have two receivers over there, so there so, was a reason so, for so, it. So probably why they did that is they wanted to disguise coverage. If okay. obviously if you don't go over there, they'll know that we're in man to man. So to give them that look. You'll say, hey, go over there, play it like this, but we still going to play cover two. Instead of y'all, one of y'all going to be a flat player, the other one you're going to have to be a hook player. So yeah. how middle how middle linebacker works is when you're at middle linebacker and they call cover two, you always open up to number three, no matter where it's at. So if it's in the three-by-one set, obviously you'll open up to the three. If it's uh, if it's two by, if it's empty, you'll open up to number three. So I'm going to assume in this setting, Tommy opened up to number three. They probably had speed at three, which is the biggest mismatch that you can get. And you just you send him straight down the middle and you hit him. Actually, yeah. it's very similar to when Xavier Johnson scored. Just right. a, basically the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And it looked to me, and you, you would know better if you would look back, but it looked to me like I think Cam Brown dropped as almost the safety. And mm -hmm. Ronnie Hickman did not come over to, to help. Um, you know, And I'd have to go back and look at it again but you know just just since we were talking about one of the big plays i wanted to see if you you looked at that one but let me ask you this and, and i want to get to tim here too on, on some questions but what what do you think of the way that these guys have been coached 
Uh, you know, obviously Jim Knowles wasn't the only new coach brought in. Both secondary yeah. coaches are new, Tim Walton, Perry Eliano. And, and we got some questions about, you know, technique here from RK about, you know, if this is a Walton problem. Um, and then, you know, also the assessment of the safety play. What, what do you, I know it's year one in this system, so I'm not ready to say anyone needs to go and you need to start right. changing staff. But from your eyes, are these guys getting the coaching they need from these guys in the secondary? So this is the thing. Obviously, when you get a new coach coming in and you you switching up the the scheme and you switching up technique and stuff like that, it's it's hard to get it in one year because yeah. you coming in, you've been there for a year or a couple of years maybe, and you've been coached a certain way. And maybe you found some success in that way. And when when things get going, unless you drill something a million times and get your body out of the old habit, the old habit's going to come back. And I think that's what we've seen a little bit in this in this year. It would take another year to see them get a true understanding and a true feeling to to switch to the technique. Um, it would be like somebody going from press technique to the new coaching staff coming in and say, hey, every corner we're playing off this year. And it would be like, I don't really know how to play off like that. You know, I'm, I'm only known press. So it would look bad over the course of a season. So I would have to give these guys another year to see how it goes. Um, you used to ask me, do they address it through recruiting? Yeah, I mean, they got some big-name recruits coming in. Yeah. Obviously, we just got the one guy from Syracuse who looked like a mate. he made some plays at Syracuse. Yeah, to come in. yeah so I've, honestly, you have to look at those guys. Um, at this, As far as the safety play go, um, I thought Ronnie Hickman was one of those guys who, you know, he did everything right and he flew under the radar. You never you rarely heard Ronnie Hickman's name because he was always where he needed to be. And he made those plays. Lathan, on the other hand, he just completely had games where he was not only effective on defense, but also special team. But the problem is both of them only had one pick on the season. And I think that's a problem. Why are yeah. we not ball hawks anymore? Because I went back. Me and Tim did the Buckeye show, and I went back and I looked at our numbers from when we wanted on, and we had Vaughn had six, Duran had five, I had four, Eli had three. And this is just the start and secondary. We all had picks, and I'm trying to figure out why is it that we were able to capitalize on picks and get that many picks, and this team had one, two, and two, three, or I think they had five in the secondary. Like, that's not great. So they have to find a way to become ball hawks. And these, this coaching staff has to understand you have to put these guys in position to do it. And running cover zero, yes, you're going to get pressure on the quarterback. Yes, you're going to force the quarterback to get rid of the ball. But if everybody's in man all the time, they're not going to always see it and be able to capitalize. Right, right. That's awesome stuff, Tyvis. Tim, or Matt, sorry, you brought up Tim. Matt, uh, you were on the sidelines. You got to stand there this whole game. I can only imagine what it was like down there. I was down there pregame, and it was already getting kind of nuts with them showing the Michigan game. Give the fans kind of an insight of what it was like to be down there from the time you got there to, you know, the time the clocks hit zero there right after midnight. Sure. We, we typically are down there 90 minutes before kick when our network coverage starts. And as you – probably could tell Patrick from the stadium press box as they're showing the Michigan TCU game on the video ribbon. And that's the other thing. There was not a video board on each end zone or in the it's middle an infinity thing. It was, in, it was wrapped around uh, on the scoreboard and it was wild because 
it seemed like the whole stadium was cheering against Michigan. And when they would show those highlights, <laughs> you'd hear reactions. But at the end, when the pregame is starting with Ohio State's band, with Georgia's band coming out, and then they had the Georgia prayer, they obviously have to shut that off. So the next thing you know, you have no way of following this dramatic ending to that game. But down there on the sideline, there's all these ESPN telecasts going on. The McAfee show, it's literally on the Ohio State Northwest corner. And so you couldn't really get through any of it because they're filming and there's four guys at another set. The SEC networks across the way. Urban and Joshua were down in the corner with BTN. But this is all going on, and you have no idea what's happening at the end of that game, despite all the theatrics as the pregame is as carried on. So the Holly Rowe group, uh, and she does her work with a positioned uh, TV monitor on a just a, a mono stick, a pogo stick almost, mm -hmm. and it follows her around everywhere so she can see what's going on. Well, they had those still very close. So as the bands are performing, there's a group of 100, 200 of us crowded around this 25-inch <laughs> television that's on this little tripod or singular pod showing the end of the game. And people are yelling from the stands, what happened? What's going on? And then the moment that the uh, the game ended, you know, people were, were getting word of it. But it was it was crazy as the game was going. Um I will tell you the uh, as, as the game was getting ready to start, and then and then as the game went on, you've got photographers and people from all over the country there, and and certain colored vests, young ladies or gentlemen had to kneel. Certain colored vests you could stand. Certain colored vests you had to stand behind a certain line. Completely chaos. There was uh, a couple of people that went down late in the game on the sideline, right there in front of us on one of CJ's runs. Yeah. Um, you got the feeling on that sideline though, that Ohio state was 100% business. The whole, the whole game, there was never, there was never a, a flinch from them. Um, as I mentioned, Mike Doss, the honorary captain on the sideline. Uh, he was, he was great. Orlando Pace is standing on the other end. And, you know, we, you talk the game and you get a feel for what they're, what they're feeling, but you had Mark Ricks there. You had urban there. You had, um, uh, as I mentioned, all the ESPN uh, different telecasts and, and for whatever uh, entity they were working, it was it was big time. It was um, reminding me a bit of the Notre Dame game, the start of that this year, but but this was on hostile territory, and it was it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, I I enjoyed everything about the stadium, no um, doubt, and what they were doing. Other than Tyvis not being there. I got to talk. Got to got to hang out with Joshua Perry a little bit after. Oh, the game. yeah, that's even that's even better to me, you know. Nah, Joshua, nah, I went up to JP pregame and I said, I want to shake your hand and then I want to rub that championship ring you've got on your hand. I said, we need a little 14 mojo, and sure enough. One of these days we'll line you and JP up, Tyvis. We'll get you both on here and Really I'm not. Joshua's too big town for me, you know. It's, nah. I'm just a little guy out here, yeah. you know. Well, he's he's told me he'd come on before, and he's yet to do it. So maybe he's too big for for us this show too. You see what I'm saying? I know. Get, I know. Get big town. Forget about the little people, man. <laughs> well, it was good enough to hang out for a little bit afterwards and, and talk about the game. Gave some good stuff. But uh, let me send you guys out here, out of here on this. What is your feeling about this program, this team going forward, coming out of this game? Because 
the conversation going into it was pretty negative. Michigan, the loss there, the recruiting wasn't the – it was still a good class, but it wasn't the class that people thought they might have had. They didn't close the way they wanted. So, Matt, I'll start with you and then go to Tyvis. What do you think kind of is your feel about this program as, as they head into the offseason and then into 2023? I think they realize that they've got uh, – um, what's not a big year here, though? Let's be honest. They've yeah. got – obviously, they got to find their quarterback – uh, they've got to get involved a little bit more in the NIL, I think. I think that they're going to look a little more into the, the portal. The, the feeling to me is that that they've got a real um, – not issue. They've got a real – they've got to figure out the quarterback spot. I think this team offensively, with their tackles that they're losing, uh, it looks like they're going to get good depth back on the running back side. The home schedule is terrible. I mean, let's be honest. Penn State was really <laughs> good coming here. Yeah. Uh, the ro- the road schedule, I think, is going to be tough. I think the Big Ten West is getting significantly better with some of their coaching. And and I, I feel like the Buckeyes are still 1 or 1A in the Big Ten. But you give you got to give Michigan credit, and that's going to be a huge game up there in November. So there's, there's, no, uh, there's no getting away from that, regardless of who's coaching them up north. But, but there, there's got to be answers on defense. There's got to be the answer at quarterback. And expectations will still be high. They always are. Uh, and, and I anticipate the same with another good year next season. Thomas, what do you think? Well, obviously, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> obviously, I fear the unknown. You know, we that's the big thing. And obviously, that's the quarterback position. Is it going to be Kyle McCord? Is it going to be Devin Brown? We have seen Kyle McCord, but it was against Akron, you know. But he did do very well. Um then I also think, you know, what about the tackle position? You know, we we I don't think we did get the guy. We didn't get the guy from what is it, Connecticut? Where was he from? The, yeah. the one guy. I can't. Whatever. We didn't get the transfer guy. So, offensive tackle. However, as far as my feelings about this pro, you know, Ryan Day takes a lot of grief. He does, and I think that Coach Mick and Ryan Day did a great job of showing not just themselves, not just Buckeye Nation, but the world, that they are good enough to compete for national championships. Because before this, after they lost to the team of North, you would have thought what they did for 11 games did not matter. The whole season was a waste because they lost to the team of North. And even I said they didn't even deserve to be in the CFP when they got in. But, man, getting in there, taking the number one team, you know, the the defending champs, taking them all the way to the wire and doing whatever it takes to win the game lets me know that they are teaching the right culture there. You know, when I was there, I always re- 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 referenced this. During um, St. Valentine's Day or the Harley Davidson workout, Coach Mick brings out, he brings out this rope, this long rope. And when it's your turn to go, you have to sit down on your butt and it's about four or five people pulling you. And the key, the whole thing is, no, you're not going to pull and beat them in circle war. It's not going to happen. The key to it is this. Never, ever let the rope go. And that's the most important part of that whole thing. And it sounds so, so cliche, but in that moment, I, I understood, like, no matter how hard this season has been, no matter how difficult it is, who, no matter what the opponent is, how great they is, you always 
fight your hardest, never give up, and you mm-hmm. never, ever let the rope go. And they seem to have taken that philosophy and they applied it. So it lets me know that the culture is where it needs to be. They have to clean some things up in the secondary, obviously. Um, players got to get healthy. This is the, the D-line should be unbelievable. It's year three, and all the guys that we're depending on, JTT, Mike Hall, Jack Sawyer, all of these guys will be juniors, and they will be trying to get to the NFL. So that's the motivation that they need right there. It should be lights out on that D-line next year. And with that being said, they were so close. I think the leader of the, the sacks this year was four and a half sacks. If we don't have a double-digit sack leader next year, that's a tremendous problem for guys that's so highly recruited. You can see the talent there. They have to find a way to get home and be effective on this defense. Um, And then as far as the secondary go, we just got to come up with a scheme and put these guys in better position because cover zero and running man-to-man all game is not going to cut it. You got to put some three in there. You got to maybe run some quarters. That's what we ran. We ran quarters when we were there. Uh, maybe some cover three, whatever. Whatever you need to do, you need to find out what these guys are good at. If they're good at seeing the ball and, and getting a good break and breaking on the ball, then put them in zone and let it be that. But if they if they get better with their technique and playing press man, then let's roll with that. But we have to find a way to get more takeovers next year because we cannot continue to just be strung along. You know, our offense is going – it's all right. Our offense is going to outscore them. No, no. At some point, it bothers because it bothered me when I was there. They would say that the defense, everybody came to see Braxton and came to see Devin and Carlos and all these guys on offense. And it's like, what about us? Like the reason that y'all, the reason that y'all didn't win the Big Ten championship is because y'all couldn't stop anybody. That's what they would say. It was always shade thrown at the defense. And at some point, somebody on that defense has to stand up and say, no more. Like, no, we're not about y'all have y'all have blamed us for three seasons. Since 2019, after 2019, 2020, 21, and 22, it's been because of the defense is why we haven't won. Somebody take some pride and say, we're not going to be the problem anymore. We're going to be the solution this year. And when you get that kind of mindset, watch out. And that's what that's what it takes. It needs somebody to be a leader on there and say, we're not going to be the problem this year. And if we can get that, we will host the trophy up easily because the offense has been locked, loaded, and ready to go for since Ryan Day has been there. It's been the defense, and once the defense meets with the offense, it, we will win multiple championships, and that's where this program needs to get. Awesome stuff from both of you guys. I appreciate it. You both obviously bring different perspectives, but great perspectives in there. Um, I know you both are busy folks, so thank you for taking time to, to join the happy hour today. Matt, have a good, uh, have a good time with the women's game tonight. Nice. Hopefully they stay undefeated. Tyvis, uh, we'll talk soon, I imagine. I'll, I'll uh, see you soon. Yeah, I'll probably see you Friday. I think I'll, I'll yeah. be beer, beers and Buckeye. Get your lemonade ready. <laughs> I'll, I'll have it ready close. for you. All right. All right. See you guys. Appreciate yeah. it. All right. Thanks again to, to both Tyvis and Matt Andrews there. Um, two guys who come from different perspectives. Obviously, Tyvis having played the game. Matt covering it for a long time, uh, doing the sidelines. He's he's done a great job since he's taken over that job. So I appreciate both those guys coming on here. And I think some really good points. If you missed, especially Tyvis breaking down this defense, this secondary, if you missed any of that, if you jumped in late, uh, go back and watch. You can watch on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. We'll also have the podcast version up later. So I appreciate that. If, if you're just tuning in, this is the Bucknuts Happy Hour. 
we're going to transition now from from looking back at this game, and, and I think we'll talk plenty about this game still going forward, but I want to look forward and uh, just kind of examine what the Buckeyes have in store for them this offseason, kind of the question marks. And, and Timmy touched – or sorry, I keep saying Timmy. Matt touched on it a little bit there, uh, Tyvis as well, because there are some big questions that, that the Buckeyes need to answer. Look, I think this was the – the year in a lot of people's minds, right? You had the quarterback, you knew CJ Stroud would be really good. You had the receivers, even after Jackson went down, you knew how talented they were. You had the offensive line with some really talented guys running backs. You thought the defense was going to take a big jump. It did take a big jump statistically, maybe not what you wanted in the biggest games of the year against Michigan and Georgia, but you, you, it, it kind of all set up. And I said at the beginning of the year, you know, there was no reason that this wasn't a national championship or bust season, even by Ohio State standards, which is almost always national championship or bust. Like this year seemed to be legitimately the year that the Buckeyes could do it. I think, honestly, they come up one point short. They they probably win the national championship if they beat Georgia. If no, Ruggles makes that field goal. If they get a stop uh, there on that line, really want any one stop on, on any of those Georgia touchdowns. Uh, I think Ohio State wins wins that game, and I think they take care of TCU. I'm not one to count TCU out because I've watched a lot of TCU this year, and boy, those those boys know how to how to fight and stay in a game. But I do think the winner of Ohio State Georgia was always going to win the national championship. We'll find out if Georgia does that on Monday. So missed opportunity in my mind. But let's look forward. I think next year things are are different because I mean we mentioned it earlier. Uh, Matt mentioned it. You don't have the quarterback returning. You have talent in the quarterback room in Devin Brown and uh, and Kyle McCord, but little to no experience. Yes, Kyle McCord started one game. It was against Akron. He played well, but you know he need, We'll see what he brings throughout this offseason. I think that battle is going to be crucial. Look, I think if you look around the country at programs that have fallen off. There are a number of things that, that play into that, but the main thing to me is the quarterback play. If you keep hitting on a quarterback, look at Clemson, for instance. When they were hitting on quarterbacks, you know, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence were the guys that got them to national championships. But even before that, that was one of the top programs in the country. And they're not recruiting at the elite, elite level. They're not even typically at the Ohio State level. But you drop off on quarterback and things fall off pretty quickly. That's not to say Clemson can't get back there, but right now they're they're the best program in the ACC. They're not a national program the last few years. Um, you know, they're not. The, I think a quarterback can negate a lot of other issues. You saw C.J. Stroud do that. I think Justin Fields did at times. A lot of guys have done it for Ohio State. So missing on a quarterback, I think, would be problematic here. So that's why I think this offseason is so crucial to make the decision between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. And I think honestly, and I haven't seen Devin Brown play a ton. Um, but from what I have seen, I'm not worried about his arm. I'm certainly not worried about Kyle McCord's arm. I think both of them are, are talented passers. Kyle McCord probably a little bit more refined. Devin Brown, though, gives you that athletic ability that Ohio State missed really up until this last game when C.J. Stroud all of a sudden went Justin Fields and was running for first downs and, and picking up big yards and not afraid to tuck that ball. So I think if you're Ohio State, A, you need to, you need to look at who's the better quarterback. And, and that goes into not only arm talent and, you know, what, what you can do on the field, but off the field, who can run 
the meeting rooms? Uh, who, who is the, going to be the leader of this team? Because that's huge. Even if you're a first year starting quarterback, and even if you're, you know, a, a younger guy, once you're the starting quarterback for Ohio state, you are the leader of this team. So how, who, who can do all of those things, but then what kind of offense do you, if all things are equal or or close to being equal, what do you want from your, for your quarterback to, to run this offense? Is it as simple as the, the most talented player wins? Or do you look to go with a more mobile quarterback in Devin Brown if things are, are pretty close between him and Kyle McCord? I think you look around the country, Stetson Bennett, while he's not the, the biggest, strongest, fastest guy, he's able to do things with his legs. You look at what CJ was able to do. That was the best game CJ played in his Ohio State career. And it was because he did not only those things with his passing game, but he was moving around the pocket. Then he did that throughout the season. But his ability to throw on the run, you saw that. And then especially late in the game, that ability to run when you need it. It doesn't have to be all the time. It doesn't have to be Braxton Miller early in his career. So, you know, I think Caleb Williams, there's a number of guys, Max Duggan, guys that can run and throw. You know, is Devin Brown that option that you want to go with if they both look good? I think that's a decision that Ohio State's going to have to make. Again, this is going to be a, a legitimate quarterback battle. I don't know if we've seen that in, in quite some time at Ohio State. I think every year most most people are, um, you know, pretty pretty set heading in. You, you have an idea of, of who's going to win, even if there is a quarterback battle. But let's look beyond that. I think that you're going to need to figure out this offensive line. We're pretty sure Dewan Jones is gone. We're pretty sure – Paris Johnson is gone. Paris Johnson, he wrote that letter in the Players' Tribune, which I don't think actually said he was declaring for the NFL draft, but more or less said that. You've got to get those tackles figured out. Does Matthew Jones come back? Does Luke Whipler come back at center? If you're going into next season with just Donovan Jackson as your only returning starting lineman, and yes, Josh Fryer played some uh, this year, and, and Enoch Viamahe played a little bit, that's a tough you know, ask, especially as you're replacing the quarterback. Now, the good news is you're going to have weapons. You, know, you don't have to worry about the Jackson Smith and Jigba stuff. He is headed to the NFL. You have Marvin Harrison. You have Emeka Buko. We'll see on Julian Fleming. Um, I think most people would assume he's coming back, but I've heard some things that, that may, you know, he's on the fence and, and is, has a legitimate decision to make. Mayan Williams, we learned today, running back, coming back. Travion Henderson is a guy I expect back. But there's been reports that he's been contacted, tampered, whatever you want to say, with, with the transfer portal. Um, obviously, if Mayan's coming back, you're not going to get the, the full workload like he did as a freshman. Look, I think this is the best place for him, but you never know. I think he'll be back. The question then comes with, okay, does Evan Pryor return after coming off the ACL injury, or does he look to be the featured back somewhere else? Same with Dallin Hayden, um, if all those guys are back. So you could have a really deep running back room, or – you could have a running back room that that maybe isn't as deep. Chip Trainum, he'll have to make a decision this offseason whether he stays in the running back room, moves the linebacker. Defensive side of the ball, I think when you start with the defensive line, the biggest question for me is, is Larry Johnson back? He's The talk of his retirement has gone on for a long time. I'm not sure you know, how well things have worked, um, you know, just looking at it from an outside point of view, and this is not anything I've heard from anybody inside the program. I know Dave Biddle's talked about this a little bit too. Larry Johnson likes to rotate a ton. I saw people commenting in the live chat here about Michael Hall and some other guys not playing as many snaps. 
Larry Johnson likes to rotate these guys. He's always done it. It's been successful. Uh, Jim Knowles, not a big rotational guy. If you look at the rest of the defense, they, they pretty much roll with their starters back there. He let Larry do that this year. Would Larry be willing to give up some of the rotational stuff to stay here? Is it time to get new blood in there? And, you know, the recruiting at defensive line has been pretty good. Obviously, you land guys like Jack Sawyer and JT Tuomalau. Um, but the Buckeyes missed on a number of guys this offseason or the, for this recruiting class, this 2023 class, to, uh, you know, to, to add to that some elite guys. They did, they did land a couple, but some elite guys to add to that. Is it time to get somebody else in there that, that you know, is hungry and wants to recruit and wants to develop? And that's another thing. How well are these guys developing? It'll be a big year for those defensive ends, for Michael Hall, for those guys. Linebackers, I expect Steel Chambers back. I would think Tommy Eichenberg returns, but I think he has more of a question after quite an impressive year. If you get both those guys back, you're set at linebacker. I mean, you would you would have arguably the best, you know, you don't play two linebackers, but arguably the best tandem in the country coming back. The secondary, Tyvis hit on all of that. If you missed that earlier, go back and, and watch it. Um, you know, they, they obviously will need to replace Ronnie Hickman. Lathan Ransom has a decision to make. Cameron Brown is gone. Your depth there is not great with J.K. Johnson transferring out, but they could add in the transfer portal potentially. And, and I know they've been looking at what's out there for cornerbacks. They did add Jihad Carter, the top-ranked safety for 247 Sports, in um, this transfer portal. He came from Syracuse. So they've already added a little bit to the secondary. Um, so those are kind of the, the decisions that will have to be made. If I think if you just look on the field this offseason – the development has to be made of defense. There's no doubt about that. And I think year two of Jim Knowles, you would expect there to be that next step, right? You would expect there to be progression. As Tyvis was talking about, you know, you're learning a whole new defense in year one. So, you know, you don't always just grasp it quickly. Uh, I think that the, the fact that it's not just Jim Knowles, it was, Tim Walton as the cornerbacks and secondary coach and Perry Eliano as the safeties coach. It wasn't just like they brought in one coach that was new and the other guys were just kind of trying to adjust to a new guy above them, but it was pretty much a whole new defensive coaching staff. And so I do think there will be steps made uh, on the defensive side of the ball, but I do think you, you, it would not hurt Ohio state to go out and add a stud or two. If you can find one in the transfer portal, um, I know there was a kid from South Carolina. I can't remember his name today. One, a five-star kid coming out of high school defensive end. Look, I know you've got some defensive ends. You've got your starters in, in JT2 and Malau. You've got Jack Sawyer who plays that Jack position. Caden Curry, some of the other guys that they, they can step in there. But if you could add an elite guy, it, and this is all a cultural fit too. Ryan Day talks about that a lot. There's, there's reasons guys end up in the portal, and it's not always because they're not good players. So if it's a cultural fit and you can add a guy like that, maybe add a cornerback here to, to come in and compete right away. Um, you know, I, I think you got to do that because yeah, you've got some really good freshmen coming in. You've got a lot of talent there, but you don't have a ton of depth in the secondary and why not add? Um, and Ryan Day has been hesitant to do that, but I think you look at it and there, there are, there's a path to getting right back to the national championship in my mind. And it's, getting this defense better, which I think is both coaching and some personnel and then getting the quarterback right and that offensive line, to be fair. Um, 
I think that the Buckeyes have it all, you know, it's, it's there in front of them, but I think the expectations for next year won't be the same either. As I think Tim mentioned, or as Matt, geez, I keep doing that. The path in terms of the schedule is not as easy as it was this year. You start the season at Indiana then you've got Youngstown state and Western Kentucky at home. Then you're at Notre Dame. And as we are recording this, as expected, Notre Dame landed Wake Forest quarterback, Sam Hartman out of the transfer portal. So they, the Irish will have their quarterback. They will have an experienced guy, unlike this year. And that game is in South Bend. You got Maryland, you're at Purdue, Penn State coming to Ohio Stadium. That's probably a good thing that game's at home because Penn State is, is going to have some boys. I think you saw this year they were able to hang with Ohio State. A lot of those guys were young guys that played in that game. Obviously, they'll be breaking in a new quarterback too, but they know who it's going to be. And, you know, Sean Clifford, I think most people were ready to see him walk out the door. You've got to go to Wisconsin. That means going to Madison. That's in late October. I expect that to be a night game. That's not an easy one, especially Luke Fickle, now the head coach at Wisconsin. You know he's going to have those boys fired up to play the Buckeyes. At Rutgers, you got Michigan State at home, Minnesota. Then you got to go to Michigan. Obviously, we're we're still waiting to see what Jim Harbaugh is going to do because there's all these rumors about you know NFL and he wants to go to the league and all that stuff. But whoever is the head coach of Michigan, and I wouldn't surprise me if they just promote somebody from within. They've got that program on the right right path now. Now they've beaten Ohio State two years in a row, and you're going to have to go there and win. Um, and I imagine again there there will be a lot on the line for that game. So. I think this, you know, this year, obviously the schedule played out really well with the number of home games. This next year is going to be a bit more difficult. And like I said, there's, there's a lot of things that this team has to get right in order to, uh, you know, be back. And a lot of guys I talked to in the locker room were, were saying, you know, we're going to be back next year, back in the college football playoff. But you also need to beat Michigan. You can't keep losing to Michigan um, and, and trying to back your way into the playoff like they did this year, the Big Ten. You've got to get back to that Big Ten championship game get to winning that big 10, you know, Ohio state made it a routine of going to Indianapolis every year. And I've, uh, I, I made it a routine. We would go and come. I expected to be in Indianapolis every year. In the last two years, I didn't get my Indianapolis trip. Buckeye fans didn't get their Indianapolis trip. So there's a lot that, that this team is going to have to do between now and the start of next season, which, as I said, begins at Indiana September 2nd. I covered some of it. We're going to cover it a lot more in depth throughout the off season. We've got a lot to talk about. I'll dive into some Ohio state basketball here. Now that football season's over a little bit on the, uh, on the happy hour here, the Buckeyes play Purdue. If you're listening to this live or on Thursday, it's Thursday night. If you listen to it afterwards, you already know the result. Purdue number one in the country should be a hell of a game uh, at value city arena. I'm excited to cover that one, but we're going to sign off here. This was, Another another good show. I'm really happy that Tyvis and Matt Andrews were able to make it on. Again, if you missed any of that from before, go ahead and, and check back on wherever you watch this, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Um, this will also be in the podcast feed for Buck Nuts as well. We've got plenty of coverage on the site. If you're not a subscriber, you are interested in what's going on with the Buckeyes behind the scenes, recruiting, all that, you can subscribe now. And please like, subscribe, all of that on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may be. I appreciate everybody tuning in live. I appreciate those that listen after the fact. And uh, it wasn't the ending anyone wanted for the Buckeyes. I still think that they came out of that game looking a lot better than they went in um, with the way they competed with the national champions in Georgia, the defending national champions. Maybe they'll be national champions again. So 
look, it's not the ending. I would have loved to be headed to Los Angeles today. Instead, uh, I'll be watching that game from home just like the rest of you. But I think there's promise ahead, especially if they hit on some things this offseason. So, again, I'm Patrick Murphy with Bucknuts and 247 Sports. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned to Bucknuts for all your coverage of Ohio State football, basketball, recruiting. And uh, cheers, Buckeye fans. foot outside of the motel you will be shot don't miss the new showtime limited series based on the international bestseller for the last four years i've been a prisoner why are they keeping you here starring emmy award winner ewan mcgregor this is the brave new world that you dreamt of be very careful you are still a prisoner here everything in this new world comes at cost this is still my country a gentleman in moscow now streaming on paramount plus only with the paramount plus with showtime plan